Here we are. Our first podcast. Podcast number one. <laughs> That's not art. Yeah, you said it. <laughs> what, um, to, to get started, what made you decide that you wanted to do this? I mean, I know that you have a very strong passion for art. Maybe that's enough. I guess you've also got a history of podcasting. Yeah. Um, can't remember. I just can't remember. I was at my computer and I thought, well, I'm going to be done school soon. Uh, and I still have to continue drawing and painting during the summer and like the summers take a different uh, uh, path because I don't have professors telling me which assignments I have to do so You're um, on your own. yeah I'm on my I'm on my own but um, I like to try to find ways to uh, get in touch with friends and go do some plein air painting, drawing, whatever. I, I try to, uh, to to find opportunities and I think that's when I thought, well, maybe I've always wanted to do this. Maybe this is the time to do it. And uh, you, you said yes. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting idea to me. I think um, I've, I've spent a lot of time over my life thinking about art. I don't, I'm, as you said earlier, no one's an expert. I'm very far from an expert and then I'm kind of removed a bit. I, I spent time doing painting myself and becoming kind of immersed in it, but that's, it's been a while now since the mid-2000s really that I stopped. I moved to a house and I never set up a studio and then I started doing more music stuff and that just became easier because I ended up running out of places to store paintings. But during that um, during that journey, I, I, uh, I certainly did a lot of research and spent a lot of time looking at different art. As you know, that's almost as important as making it. Mm-hmm. Not yes. as important, I don't think. You can't just do that, but <laughs> certainly it's a it's a great source of ideas. I would think you would agree. Oh yeah, absolutely, um, and, and definitely. No, no one, no one's without influences as well, right? It's very, uh, and that often shows. I mean, well, <laughs> sometimes it, in some of the paintings I have, it shows probably more, um, more than I would like it to in a way because it looks almost like I'm copying people like Mark Rothko or. Barnett Newman or whomever, but but the people that I really liked, and it's sort of a process of discovery and of trying to figure out how the heck did they make these paintings. I guess you've got a a, a, a syllabus that we're supposed to be following, and I, I guess talking about abstract art is kind of uh, meant to be a whole podcast unto itself. So we don't want to get too off. No, oh no, 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 no. I think I think we can talk about anything that comes in our minds, and uh, we'll return to things. Um, that's that's the nature of podcasting. It just goes where it goes. But today our theme is the New York art scene, and you were very very passionate about this subject. So let's hear what you have to say about this. I mean, I I don't know much. Um, I know a little bit from what I learned in class about, uh, well, the beginning of. Uh, yeah, the I mean, the rise of of art in New York, like f from the early twentieth century, with the Armory Show and um, you know various uh, the rise of pop art and uh, uh, punk music and all of this. 
you know, it, New York is the center of art, basically, yeah, that, in, in North America. Say. So we yeah, can that's choose. what I was going to say. Is New York has been the, the hub for quite some time, and there's so many connections between so many different movements, and like you say, it goes it crosses over into music. And, you know, like you go back to, um, I mean, I didn't know how far we want to go back. I mean, abstract expressionism really came out of New York as well. Yes, it did. Yes, and that's where I pretty much was thinking about, like, all the people I was thinking about. I I, I thought, oh, no, what do I know about New York? I better go check the people oh, that I like. <laughs> among, almost every major artist really has got some sort of connection to New York, it seems. Like, if you go back to, especially in that sort of abstract expression, Mark Roscoe and Robert Motherwell and Eve Klein and, you know, all those sorts of people, I think we're all, I'm not sure about Eve Klein, but I expect he was probably New York. Um, that's just where it all happened. And it's interesting to go forward a little bit. Um, I'm just thinking about, you said pop art. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, of course, of Andy Warhol. Yeah, who made New, made New York very famous in the late '60s, early '70s, and then there's that connection between him and he had his space called the Factory, right? That he made his art in, or had he actually had a lot of other people making his art for him. He was that kind of an artist. Oh yeah, nothing really wrong with that. No, uh, but that's something we can probably discuss later. But I was thinking more about um, his connection with uh, he had like the Velvet Underground work. Uh, very tightly connected to him and you know their big their famous first record with that banana on it was an Andy Warhol piece and I think it's even called the Andy Warhol album if I'm not mistaken hmm. and uh, you know there's just so and then he made film as well right and then there were it's just incredible the amount of work that that man did uh, some of the artist people artist friends who I've had over the years of you know they sort of argue whether Picasso or Andy Warhol are sort of the the most major figure of, of modern art you know it's, he, he really was almost that large i would say picasso yeah yeah well i mean that's that's just it some people uh i i would probably tend to agree with that because i think picasso turned things on its side even more and and it was a more significant time perhaps but mm -hmm. but uh, to, to even have a um, people making making a comparison and having a conversation says an awful lot for him yes yes i mean we could we cannot think of pop art without Andy Warhol, and that's a whole school of art, so the same as Cubism. And he also, yeah. he also took, um, the other thing that he did that I don't know that people think about as much is that he took conventional sign-making techniques and turned that into art. That was something that really hadn't been done very much before him, like mm -hmm. screen printing and those sorts of things. I mean, not to say there wasn't such thing as printing. But to turn to like those Campbell soup cans or the various paintings that he did really were quite unique. Yeah. So, not but just for them being pop art, the technique was also quite interesting, I think. But the but, people yeah, like, that. Like the people like that. The him and Velvet Underground. And then the Velvet, there's a whole you know, lineage between the Velvet Underground working our way through. We wanted to talk about music. But, and the connection of art was always there. It's something that I find fascinating about New York. I. I only been there a couple of times in my life, but boy, what a buzz that place has all the time, 24-7. Yeah, and, and the people you wanted to talk about mostly was uh, Chuck Close? Well, he was just somebody who came to mind. I think we were kind of having a uh, sort of off-the-cuff discussion, and I, I was making a connection between, again, it's like, for me, I have a, a, a pretty strong interest in music, and I was remembering 
certain people that I thought were really interesting that were all connected in the sort of early 1970s art scene. And Chuck Close did a very large portrait of Philip Glass, who's a musician, right, a minimalist musician. And Philip mm -hmm. Glass, at that same time, was working as a studio assistant to Richard Serra, who was a monumental kind of minimalist sculpture um, maker, sculptor, I guess you'd call him. Do you know that name at all? Have you seen his work? Um, Chuck Close? No, uh, Richard Serra. Serra? No. Yeah, S-E-R-R-A, yeah. He's, no. he's interesting, too. But anyway, um, there was just this real continuum between a lot of things that were going on. At the time, I, 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 so I, was, really, I was probably thinking more about Philip Glass's crossover connection between working as a studio assistant for a not then very famous artist, but who's since become a very famous artist, and also being the portraiture of Chuck Close, who uh, did what I think are very interesting large-scale uh, portraits of, of people, like sometimes really close, like in the painting called Phil that he did. Um, it's, you know, a very big close-up of just Philip Glass's face, and uh, there was an image we were just looking at that had a, a Chuck Close in front of it, and you can see this thing is like a, I don't know, 10-foot by 10-foot or 11-foot by 11-foot painting. It's really quite large. Yeah, why and, do you uh, think he does that? He did a that? whole series of, of different things like that, and he had an unfortunate accident, and you just were telling me about, I'm not sure when it happened, but he became a paraplegic. Mm -hmm. But yet, he continued making art, and he, he changed some of his techniques because he wasn't able to do quite the same thing, and he started making these paintings of just uh, almost like um, pointillism, but doing it with his thumb, and so putting different colored thumbprints. And, if, and because these paintings are large scale, when you're, you're standing back and looking at them from far away, they look um, they look very realistic and almost hyper-realistic, really. But as you get up close to them, you see this beautiful blending of colors, and you can see the thumbprints, and you can see uh, this the, the process by which it's made, similar to looking at like um, a, a pointillist painting, where if you get up close to it, you realize, well, that's all dots, you know? or even looking at a comic book for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I always liked him. I mean, he's not somebody that I've, um, he's not somebody that I've really spent that much, like, I don't, I don't have, I don't think I ever had any books of his, but I was always sort of fascinated by the scale of his painting and just that whole connection that he had with the, like I say, this crossover between, between, you know, being a studio, I don't know, a studio assistant as well as uh, being a famous artist himself. At the time, again, I don't know how Philip, famous Philip Glass was when that painting Phil was made. I think it was 1974. I don't think Philip Glass would have been very famous yet. But he certainly became uh, quite famous. And I had the uh, opportunity and honor, actually, of uh, honor, I don't know if that's the right word, but I had the great opportunity of uh, getting to see him play a, a show below the World Trade Centers before they were taken down. And that was really moving. It was just such a, uh, I, and I really didn't know much about his music at the time. And it's this sort of uh, cyclical thing that he does that kind of just sort of sucks you right in. I think anybody, no matter who they were, would be just fascinated to hear the way that he slowly brings new melodies in and you just you don't even really know what you're listening to and suddenly it's completely changed so that was pretty mm -hmm. cool. wow that's awesome maybe you can um send me later you can send me a file of yeah i'll, of I'll try to think some music you like figure that, out. that would be interesting because yeah that's uh that was a good um really good experience i had a friend back uh i, I still know him i don't talk to him very often but he, uh, he was very, very interested in arts, and he did a, a curatorial degree at Bard College in the U.S. And So he was living in, um, I think it's called Annandale or Red Hook, New York, which is about two hours north in the Hudson Valley, beautiful part of the state. It's actually the school that uh, um, 
Steely Dan went to when they sang about my old school. Oh, yes. Yeah, and uh, Chevy Chase as well went there. Oh. But anyway, um, it's it's fairly close to New York, so we went and visited him and his girlfriend at the time, this many years ago now, and well, the World Trade Center, the World Trade Center towers were still standing, so it was probably the year 2000, I would expect. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, so he knew he knows everything going on, and so he would we would do we did a day trip into the city, and boy, like just to have that be the thing that you see at the end of the day, and it was that dusk, it was just unbelievable. And those towers were just like, works hard unto themselves, right? Like I've always been into architecture too, so I think New York has a lot to offer in that regard as well. I think it's interesting that uh, you have uh, this kind of uh, connection with music and art. I don't, I don't think of them together, but you, you, you do. You know, I wouldn't say that I do as a rule. I would say that New York is a special case. Mm -hmm. I think there was something about the timing of a lot of these things that were going on in New York. Um, New York was a really rough place in the 70s, and you could get studio space for pretty cheap. Yeah. So I think a lot of artists flocked there because it was cool, but it was it was pretty dangerous and there was a lot of crime and it was just not the same place that it is now. I mean, I, I feel a lot, I was in New York about one year, just a little over a year ago and I, I, for the first time in a long time and, and boy, it's, um, I was really quite amazed at how, how friendly people were, how willing people were to like, you come out of the subway and you look lost and somebody within 30 seconds would be there asking you where you were going and where you, you know, what direction you were looking for or whatever. And I was just, I thought it was pretty interesting. There wasn't really any time that I didn't feel safe when I was there. I maybe I mean we, we were we were in Manhattan the whole time too, right? That's probably a little different if you went to uh, Rockaway Beach or something like that. But New York's pretty enormous. Yeah, but I'm uh, not sure there'd be much in Rockaway Beach to go see. <laughs> what do you think about uh, this kind of realism? Like the Chuck Close work? Yeah, like let's say I was just checking out. This other uh, painter, I don't know if you, uh, if you had meant to tell me about that Richard Whitney, or did I? Yeah, did... I, I don't know that name. No, uh, okay. New York Dave? <laughs> uh, I I must have misunderstood, but um, yeah, well, that yeah. guy, <laughs> that guy Richard Whitney is like a super. He's a he's called a contemporary realist. And like, he, uh, Ken Danby? Yeah, like a Ken Danby type, yeah. um, does portraiture of uh, famous people. Um, there was a painting of Robert Reich. Um, so what do you that? think? I think they're, good. I think they're incredible. I mean, like, what, what a huge amount of talent. But I, I don't think they compare, though, to looking at the Chuck Close works. I think those Chuck Close works have something in them that that goes beyond just a realistic painting. I'm not yeah. sure what it is. Like there's certain realistic paintings I've seen over my life that I just, I, I almost am in tears when I see them. Like actually one is Christina's World. Yeah. That by, what's that artist? The guy who's egg tempera painting. It's just, and uh, Andrew Wyatt. Oh yeah, yeah. She's she's on, in the grass. Yeah, she's in the grass, exactly. And like turning, turning towards the house. And that's actually in New York, so we're still talking about New York because I saw it when I was there. It's it's in um, it's in the Museum of Modern Art. Well, that's interesting. It's, it's, you know, it's not even in the main collection. It's stuck on a wall by an elevator. I was just uh, reading about that painting, and uh, he was uh, living in a farm, and 
this this woman I thought was I had imagined a whole story around her that she was married and she was bound by the shackles of <laughs> of marriage. Of and, being a woman uh, in the eighteen hundreds or nineteen early nineteen hundreds. Yes, and she was looking back at the farm that was like her jail and that was the only thing she knew kind of thing and she was crying. But as I read the story, she was um, paralyzed and her brother, she lived there with her brother and her brother took such good care of her. And this was just Wyatt's homage to her, you know? So yeah, I think I've heard that story before. Before now that you, you mentioned it, um, I, I didn't know the, the story behind her either. But that that does sound familiar. But it's just, and it's not a very big painting. It's, it's, you know, it's like maybe two feet tall by three feet wide. So it's a fairly just a medium sized painting. But it just sucks me right in. I I find so to talk about realism. A lot of it, I I, I look at it and I'm in awe of the technique. But I I can't say that I'm sucked in by it. Like I would say those paintings. Are, Robert Reich, for example, like wow, can that guy ever paint? But he looks more—it looks more like illustration than fine art to me. Yeah, yeah, I think it has to bring some kind of emotion for me to to yeah, be yeah. Uh, to be um, enjoying it because um, it's it's really nice to be like a, a super good artist and to have such uh, skills, but uh, it's not everything, you know. Like, it it can leave you cold, too. Uh, I've had a number of artist friends over the years and people that have sort of helped me out back when I was doing it and people that I took lessons from even. And I, I've learned a fair bit about what... It, and, and just having that raw talent is not enough, I don't think, to be an artist. You have to be, you have to be like, a good person at business and you have to be personable. Like, honestly, it's almost an impossible job. You need so many different character traits and abilities to really do it well, and that's why a lot of people end up with managers, I'm sure, because they they they're good at doing the work. But to me, some of those realistic works don't have the vision that to go back to Chuck Close. Like his paintings, to me, there's something about them that is more than just a like, um, more than just a, an, a a super accurate reproduction of somebody's face or whatever. There's something that. That, that it takes it farther, and as I said earlier, I don't think I can put my finger exactly on what that is. Yeah, I was looking at uh, at his paintings, and um, he said that um, earlier in his career, he decided to throw away his uh, paintbrushes and to use anything else. Uh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, any tools that he could find, and he, f he found that having right off the bat having this difficulty would um would enhance his work and he use it uses a lot of techniques like um uh he does a lot of uh print making um uh and photo he mixes photo with with paint and so he's uh, multimedia and um he, he likes to develop techniques so um, I think his research into into finding his own kind of style, um, his own method of of uh, making artwork is is making his artwork as a result of this. It's making it compelling somehow. It's not exactly perfect, 
you know like it's yeah it's 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 somehow bigger than the sum of its parts as they say to sound sort of cliche but i i do find that i've seen a couple of them and they really they really draw me in and uh i think from some of the conversations we've had leading up to this i think we're both probably generally more interested in in abstraction and in use of material more so than in being able to draw a perfect face right yeah yeah i think that he plays a little bit maybe with um he well i'm looking at his uh at other artwork that he did and uh I see like he's he's almost doing um like you were talking about pointillism he's he's got pixels but the, uh, each pixel is interesting in itself when you're close to it like you look at each little square and each little square is a little tiny micro painting <laughs> Yeah and that's the kind of thing that I when I have seen his works in galleries Like I'll stand back and I'll be in awe of how it's perfect, but then you go right up close to it and it's like, whoa, this isn't perfect. He's he this guy's a genius. Like he's he's taken, like you say, this pointillist or whatever he's using and he's made it into something that he knows how it's going to look from far away and he can he, he has the vision to be able to make that connection between you know, standing back and knowing how someone's going to see it from the far side of the gallery as opposed to the person like myself who's very Uh, curious about the technique and trying to always sort of unearth what the heck did he do to make that and I'll go up and I you know I almost want to touch them and take them off the wall if I can put behind them I won't do that perhaps even go to jail <laughs> oh yeah well you know he's yeah okay so this is the kind of realism that I guess I I, I could go with but Normally, I'm not too, too big on it, this kind of... Uh... Yeah, that's, that's exactly my feeling as well. As well. Um, I, it's something that I was really, really surprised that I liked it as much as I did when, mm -hmm. I, when, I, when I saw it in person. Like seeing it on the internet, I don't think even quite does it justice as if to, to, see, it, to see it in a gallery. No. But I, bet you they have, I bet you they have, I think they have one in the National Gallery. Oh, yeah. Well, that'd be cool. Yeah, I think I think they do. So you, you got one for um, well, I guess you're not really that close to the National Gallery, but when you're next in Ottawa, yeah, I I will drive through this summer. So yeah, because you go to you go to you go to back to back pretty much every every summer, right? Oh, I yeah, I'm gonna go grab my mom. So because my daughter is Madeline is graduating, so I I gotta go get grandma. All right. So, um, um, do you want to add anything? Well, you know what I was going to do? I don't know how I can send you a link, but I, I found a great picture of a... I was talking about Richard Serra, too, so I just thought because I, I, of the connection, I just thought I would send you this image if I can find the easiest way. Maybe I'll do it on Facebook. Oh, yeah. You, well, you can send it in Skype here. Well, if I look on there, I don't see a spot to do it. Oh, oh, sure. I'm sure okay. there is one. I just don't know how to use. Uh, I just don't know how to use it. Okay, if I do it on Facebook, it's gonna go to your phone, though, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, I'll try. I'll go back here again. So if I go to maybe if I go to contacts. Sure. No, I, I don't. I don't see because all I see is is this screen saying that I'm talking to George. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I don't see where I can. Um. Contacts. Okay. Maybe in uh, do you okay, see? Okay, I got it now. Oh, I got this figured out. Okay, well, that's that's not what I was trying to do. But. 
Oh, wait. You saw the little bubble with the okay, script? Okay. <laughs> okay, good. So th this is, um, he's one of my favorite sculptors and another New York artist. And his, his work is very, I don't know, he builds it in shipyards now because it's massive scale. Like you get a sense of that woman that's touching it there. It's a nice piece of oxidized metal inside of a gallery. I don't even know how you get it in there, but. Yeah, uh, you know, like that's, that's kind of cool. That's it, like. Again, I, I think you'd want to see it and walk through. Actually, there's one in the, if you're in the airport at um, Pearson, if you're in the international airport at Pearson, there's one. The reason I'm bringing him up is because again, he was connected to Philip Glass was actually, at the time that that painting was made that Chuck Close did of him, Philip Glass was his studio assistant. And at that time, what he was doing, he was taking molten lead. On He was doing street art with molten lead where he was throwing molten lead. He was getting uh, crucibles of molten lead and throwing it in the corners of buildings and then making these sculptures like that. <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy stuff. Whoa. And, and Richard Serra was his, or not, and uh, Philip Glass was his studio assistant. And that was in 1969. Yeah, here's a, here, I'll send you a photo of that. It's pretty cool. That's... Yeah, these people are just, just like taking it to the next level kind of all the time. Yeah. It's... This goes back to, I think, 1969 he was doing this. Really a long time ago. And it might have been that long ago that Phil, Phil Class was actually uh, working with him. I, I, I didn't realize it was that long ago. But yeah, that's Sarah throwing lead. Okay. And, this is kind of cool. Just to see, it's just a, it's a real process piece, right? Where he's actually, oh, uh, it's him actually see. doing it. So he was doing that on the street for a while. He had this like thing with, he would melt lead in and he's all dressed up so he doesn't get burned and throw it in the corner. And then eventually he would peel that stuff off when it cooled and he'd make sculpture out of it. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's pretty neat. <laughs> I don't know. You it's do kind a, of. I'm thinking here, you could probably do a podcast on uh Industrial. I'm, I'm just on New York art if you wanted to. It's, it's so big, but and I guess a lot of the things that you want to talk about will come back to New York because, like you say, abstraction and abstract expressionism was really a something that was um, born in New York. And I, I would say, I mean, abstraction really not maybe so much because that goes back farther. But um, yeah, certainly I it, think certainly it took it to a, a different level, and there was a lot going on in the '40s and '50s in New York. Yeah, um, maybe um, when we talk about, I I had put in the list of topics, um, Claude Monet. Um, if you want, then we can talk yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a, I I love him. I mean, you know, you, how can you not? That's the where it all comes from, right? Like you go back into those, that sort of era of painters, and and you just have to sit in in awe of them. And if you ever have the chance, to, I've never been to the Louvre. I imagine you have. Have you been? You've been to. Right, right, uh, oh yeah, but a lot of his paintings are at L'Orangerie and other art galleries. Oh, yeah. Where's the water lilies? Uh, at L'Orangerie. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, good thing I didn't go to Paris looking at the Louvre for <laughs> <laughs> the water lilies. I would have been sorely disappointed. Well, he he's probably got a whole room at the Louvre as well, oh, but yeah. I didn't. It's so huge that I only managed to see uh, one room upstairs and have walked through the classical sculpture hallway. And I went to see the Mona Lisa, of course, because I was traveling with someone who wanted to see all the 
the cliche things I'd, in I'd Puffy. I'd probably still want to see it just to say that I saw it. But, yeah, I would, but you could probably spend a week in the most big museum, right? It's not really giving it its due when you go and you just walk through because it feels like a mall. It, it feels like the mall of art, you know. So, But um, what I wanted to say about Claude Monet is... Um, that he was the um, pretty much the first artist to be an artist uh, as h how we think of artists today, having yeah, a studio that's, that's, and having an international presence. And like he was pretty much the, the first one. And he went to New York at, uh, there's a show called The Armory Show. I don't know if, yeah, if you studied that. that. Okay. Well, maybe I don't we know. Can... I don't know much about it, but I've heard of it, and I guess it's another way that it all comes back to New York, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the birthplaces of kind of an internationalist movement of art, where a lot of European artists were trying to show there. Mm. Although I'm sure the I'm, you're, I'm sure the U.S. artists were more trying to show in Europe as well. Well, I read a little bit about New York, and um, New York itself. Uh, funds does more funding of the art than the national endowment of the art for the whole country so That's yeah. and um i read that part of that is because whenever they build a building in new york one percent of the budget has to go towards art so that's another way that the city um funds and supports artists um, and um, the, there was this other fund, I forgot what it's called, but it's totally out of revenues um, coming out of New York. And they fund like over a thousand uh, galleries all over the country. So New York, New York promotes art in the whole country. Uh, of the United States. Yeah, it's not really surprising, I guess, when you think about it. Now, New York has such has an economy; it's as big as Canada, probably. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I'm not it's sure cool. how many people are are there, but we're what 33 million people <laughs> in Canada. Not big, but it's big. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yes. So we'll have more to talk about, um, definitely can go on about certain things that I've, I've thought about and and do, I suppose, but, uh, you know, for me to, to think back and to remember a lot of stuff about, like, Monet and going back into that era, I might want to do a little bit of, uh, do a little bit of reading. It's good for my brain to do that, too. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah, how just, it goes. I had a fairly busy time just winding down a course that I'm teaching, so I'm, uh, as soon as that's finished, and that's, like, by the end of April, um, I'll have lots more time to devote to thinking about these things. And I'm looking forward to conversations about various aspects of this. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll arrange some sort of a field trip. In the world. Oh my goodness, wouldn't that be fun? Ottawa even. Look, meet up in Ottawa. The National Gallery is really quite amazing. Oh yes. I've, I've gone um, to see the um, uh, Van Gogh exhibit there and oh, what else did I see? Oh, I saw, I, I always stop uh, in Ottawa, I've I, we've been I've been in Ottawa like just driving through, and I've stopped in front of it 
and ran in just to look at the Voice of Fire room, the room that that's in, and there's a few other really cool paintings in there, and I was just going to look at that and then go back to the car and leave. <laughs> I did that one. <laughs> well, that leads us to uh, our next topic. I think it was going to be about... Uh, the group of seven, I think. Yeah, was we wanted to talk be? about that. That's interesting. Is it going to be? I, I did read it over. I don't. I, like I say, I'll have more. I'll be more prepared. I'll have the notes in front of me. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. Uh, I, I typed my notes this morning, and and then I thought, ah, oh, no, screw the notes. <laughs> you don't want to have it. You want to have it a little more often. But, but you know. You can probably get a bit of a better conversation going if you have a few more things that you're thinking about. Like, I wouldn't say Group of Seven is something that I feel I am an expert on, for example. Oh, no, I know, but, but uh, our, our podcast title is That's Not Art. That's, not so. art. that's true, that's true. <laughs> and I'm not an expert on any art. I think it's not like something that I like that. I just have know a little bit. I just know a little bit about enough of it to be dangerous. <laughs> I think that's the case for all of us. That's good. Yeah, it keeps us real, man. Well, that's right. And I think we keep this to like <laughs> you know, a half hour, 45 minute conversations and someone might even listen. Yeah. Okay, so this is pretty good. So uh, next next time, um, hopefully next Sunday, we'll be uh, talking about uh, the group of seven and um, can Canada move beyond the group of seven. <laughs> <laughs>